श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए शिष्य गो राधा माधव की जाए को भक्त बृंद की जाए को प्रेम आनंदे So any question tonight? Yes. As a devotee, we, we, we're kind of accustomed to the stories of prior ages and all the wonderful and magical stories of Krishna's pastimes. But in trying to present the philosophy in, in modern day society, it's hard to imagine how that can be done without the objective world looking at all these fantastic demons and fantastic things as anything more than mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even for ourselves sometimes we think, oh, a million heads? Come on, that's beyond my comprehension. <laughs> so how to, how to reconcile what appears to be a methodical, uh, you know, mythological, you know, philosophical basis of spirituality and reconcile it into modern terms and and, and a way that that, uh, we can present Krishna consciousness so that it's appreciated. You want the short answer. (laughs) (laughs) I want any answer. Well, um, one thing to consider at the at the onset is that there are there will invariably be a Kanishtadikari, a Madhyamadikari, an Uttamadikari um, take, if you will, on the uh, the narratives, for example, um, that uh, um, in the Bhagavatam of Krishna Lila, um, and. I think that there are similarities, although vast differences, between the Kanishtadikari and the Uttamadikari. Another way of talking about it, perhaps, is Anadi Atnik, Anadi Bhotak, and Anadi Daivik perspective. Hmm. Adi Atmik means, in this instance, as I'm speaking of it, um, a perspective on um, the teaching in general and, and Leela as your uh, question concerns um, from the primarily from the bodily concept of life. In other words, there are devotees who theoretically uh, embrace the idea that consciousness is not an emergent property of the brain, it's independent of the body and they are consciousness, but they nonetheless uh, have the default of acting uh, as if they are the body a good part of the time and being invested in the objective world and with the idea thereby that um, uh, if it can be objectively demonstrated, it's real. Hmm. Um so that type of devotee and that, that type of perspective requires some type of objective confirmation hmm, of what are really um, subjective truths. And here I use the words objective and subjective, which are 
um, have many meanings, to refer to, on the one hand, the objective, the world of things, and on the other hand, the subjective, the world of consciousness. And I don't mean the world of mind filled with thoughts about material things, hmm? which makes it a subtle form of the gross world, but if a mind at all, a mind saturated with with bhava, which makes it a meditative mind, and a, and a member, therefore, or an instrument, hmm, I should say, for a member of the subjective world proper. Hmm? So, so, for example, the, uh, from the adhyatmic perspective, um, we learn from someone in the adhidaivic perspective, the other end of the spectrum, hmm, that this stone from this place in India is Krishna. For example, the, the Govardhan Shila, we learn from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. Hmm. He saw the hill, he saw Krishna, as it's described in the Bhagavatam. So he worshipped the Govardhan Shila. Hmm. And so, the Adi, from the Adiyatmic perspective, we, of course, we're moving according to the influence of the Adidaivic perspective, and and we have some faith, but again, we're still grounded in the objective world, largely. So we take it on faith, but then we have to draw a face on it. Hmm? <laughs> You're really there. <laughs> we have to we have to mark him up and so forth, and, and, and kind of objectively, hmm? and then they get extreme about that, and then they. You know, you've got to, the deities become more and more and more, if you will, human-like in the way of dressing and so on. So it's not a bad thing, but it's an example of what I'm what I'm talking about. They need objective verification of a subjective truth, and the fact that the objective world, from our perspective, comes out of the subjective world is somewhat lost. Uh, uh, or somewhere in the background of their thinking, or to state it differently, that the subjective world is the real world. Hmm? This world is the effect, hmm? the, subject, the objective world, the subjective world is the cause, um, but we're grounded in the objective world, so we, we, we kind of want to seek verification of the subjective world objectively. It's a backwards kind of way of, 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 of thinking. Now, the, 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 from the adiatmic, adibotic perspective here, adibotic means others. So, that's kind of what you're talking about. There are other currents of thought and ways of thinking about things and so forth to take into consideration one's faith in relation to those, hmm? rather than to stay in a, um, um, a sheltered kind of bubble and for preachers, on the other hand, so-called, to preach to the choir, hmm? To actually enter the world of thought, current thought, at the time and make sense out of the the, the teaching is what, what what you're talking about, and so that's the middle, hmm, the intermediate or the it's an adibotic perspective, hmm? and uh, so that we're going to answer along those lines then. 
But then yeah, the Daivic perspective, of course, is um, it's just the opposite. It's similar, but it's the opposite of the of the Adhyatmic perspective. The Adhyatmic perspective hmm, kind of tends to want to see the subjective world in the objective world. And you go to Vrindavan, another example, and they say, and here is the place, uh, Pavans are over, uh, and here is where Yashoda uh, Mai, so much fond of Radhika as a young girl and wanting her to marry her son, smeared turmeric on her hands, some, you know, custom of the time that she would be married. Then she went and, and washed her hands in the lake and became yellow. And see, it's still yellow thousands of years later. And devotees, you know, somebody said, well, it's yellow because there are the reasons here. That we, and so forth. So they, they, they need that and it works. And it's fine in one sense, but it's it's not fine when that adiatmic perspective comes in touch with the adibotic or the thoughts of others, other currents of thought and so forth. And when those currents of thought are more prominent, hmm? Maybe in the presence of the Acharya, your guru, you know, all that can be just put aside and you can live in a, a little bubble, but he or she usually is trying to deal with the uh, the currents of the world and so on and so forth. Hmm? And um, so the more we get exposed to them, then we have to dig a little more deeply and really it means to understand more this principle that the objective world comes out of the subjective world rather than vice versa, which is materialistic thinking. The subjective world is some type of epiphenomenal or emergent property of of the brain, and um, it's not something that's very important. <laughs> we say it's everything. Hmm? Indeed it is, and we can go into that. But the Adidavic, well, the Adidavic perspective is one in which the we try to fit the subjective world in the objective world to make sure it's real. Hmm? information about the subjective world. And the Adidavic perspective is one in which the objective world fits within the subjective world. And so, everything in the objective world is seen as, um, for example, he saw the hill, it was Govardhan, he saw the river, it was the Jamuna, whatever river it was, whatever hill it was, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, his his bhava the 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 the, the uh, superlative devotee's bhava is projected on the world. Hmm? That's what makes that part of the world, if you will, worshipable by the by the other devotees. Hmm? It's the bhava hmm, that he projects. He sees that's Krishna's footprint. You look. Hmm, I guess. <laughs> kind of, kind of see a tool there. So. But then it's a worship because someone has projected their bhava onto that. And they've seen in this way. Hmm? So it's the, the, the subjective world, the mind, uh, bhava riding on the mind hmm? and examining the world from from that perspective turns vishvapurnam sukhayate. As Vishvana says, the whole world becomes a place of, of happiness. Hmm? So... Um, so, and this in-between stage is important because to come from the the adiatmic perspective, the adidavic perspective, you do have to deal with your intellect. In other words, you have to integrate your heart of faith 
which is tender, komal, to begin with, with um, with uh, intelligence. In a way, that intelligence doesn't override the heart and, and faith disappears. Hmm? Because if we try to bear down, if you will, and, and enter the, 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 the subjective world with intelligence alone, we'll be rejected. It's not a proper, suitable vehicle for going there. It's material. Hmm? But nonetheless, it has to be employed. It's an aspect of our uh, subtle psychic uh, dimension, conditioned of conditioned life, and it has to be fully engaged. Hmm? Now, it can be engaged, for example, as Krishna says, by studying the Bhagavad Gita or the Shastra. Hmm? But then, you know, you have to study it like the Goswamis did. You have to study it in relation to the currents of thought of the time. So they're commenting on, on Vaisheshika, Nyaya, uh, uh, um, and the other yoga, darshan, and so forth, philosophies of the time, and so forth, and materialism, and some little bit of influence of Buddhism, and so forth. And so now there are different influences of philosophical thought, the whole movement of Western philosophy and science and so on and so forth. So you see, to to, to be a Goswami, you have to do what the Goswamis did, and not what they did 5,000 years ago, but what they would do now and be someone acquainted with the currents of thought of the time and make the faith hmm, such that, it, that it's strengthened by integrating it with or harmonizing it with the head. Hmm? It's a very subtle exercise because... Um, again, if, if it's not done carefully, intelligence will will destroy the faith, so to speak. If you if you're too much, if you if you if, you, if, you, if you, the, the, the the trick is to not to be uh, uh, mastered by intelligence, but to master one's intelligence hmm? and learn to discriminate spiritually, which requires some fair amount of familiarity with this with with the doctrine with the scriptural text with the sadanta, with the tattva, and so on and so forth, and in such a way that the use of one's head has softened one's heart, and thus one is fully engaged in practice and getting realization, and then to think about the kind of things that you're, you're thinking about, hmm? and how to, how to deal with that. And so, relative to the way I'm explaining it at the moment, I think a very bottom line uh, point is that um, that we take our stand on um, consciousness. Hmm? So consciousness is is kind of the Achilles heel of materialism. Hmm? It's the most uh, uh, unmaterial like substance you could possibly come in touch with, uh, being being the very theater of experience. Hmm? And other than consciousness, nothing, not atoms, not electrons, not quarks or strings or whatever, in a subatomic world or the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in what's made out of the subatomic world, nothing ha- is experiential. Only this one substance, consciousness, which makes it like... Um, not only not only different to say it's a, a different category of matter would be like not sufficient to um, to uh, 
not to, not to do justice to the measure and extent to which it's different. The difference between non-experience and experience is infinite. Hmm? This is an old metaphysical point, and it's a good one. Hmm? The difference between experiential reality and a non-experiential reality, the difference is infinite. Hmm? So to try to then take that consciousness hmm, and explain it as a physical thing, hmm, well, they're having a hard time doing that for good reason. <laughs> and in our, our position, it's because it's not a physical thing. Hmm? Having a very difficult time doing that, and it's and it's and on top of that, it's very um, dehumanizing, if you will. Hmm? Even to I don't know that's a, that's a word, but uh, it's a word I made up again. Dehuman, to, 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 to even to attempt to do the theory of it, the the the, the objective of it, to 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 to, to demonstrate that consciousness is physical. Hmm? Hmm. is to, if you could do it, to, to demonstrate that, that the world has no overarching meaning. There are just physical um, substances interacting with one another. There's no overarching meaning, purpose, um, and, um, and, 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 and we are kind of, well, zombies. That's what I mean by dehumanizing. Hmm? Robots. Now they were fond in these days of working with uh, with uh, artificial intelligence. You got that lady inside the phone and stuff like that. You know, on the GPS or the guy there. Hmm? Um, and so, you know, these kind of things give some excitement to uh, some people in artificial intelligence, and then to a larger body of people who buy into materialism hmm, without thinking it out very well. And the idea that, so that somebody made a movie, was Spike Jones made a movie called Her. And it's a movie about, it's a recent movie, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. And the guy falls in love with, you know, the lady in the iPhone. Hmm. Um, and so I, I assume that it's a way of saying that in artificial intelligence is not we're not so far off from demonstrating that well really we're no different than robots. I mean that's not the way they put it, but that's the bottom bottom line. We could make a robot that's 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 no different than a human being. A human being is is a, is 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 made up of just physical parts, physicalism, and we just adjust them in such a way. Hmm? Um but as I say, I mean, this is this is this is an interesting idea and so forth, and people can get excited about you know such fiction movies and and other other type um, of developments in artificial intelligence. But a wiser person than me, I've quoted before, I forget who it is, said that while there are many developments in artificial intelligence, the developments can be compared to the attempt to touch the moon, by which. Um, we are closer to doing by climbing a tree. Hmm? So, and now you think about it, what, what he means by that. If you are to make 
a human being, artificial intelligence, okay? The perfection of artificial intelligence. What would the perfection of artificial intelligence be? It's very circular if you think about it. Because if you were to make a perfect, if you were to perfect artificial intelligence, then you would create a zombie, like ourselves would be the theory, that would end up pondering the meaning of life and entering into the debate <laughs> and possibly taking the opposite side <laughs> of materialism. <laughs> so you don't get anywhere <laughs> even if you create such. Um, if you perfect the artificial intelligence, the debate goes on. Mm-hmm. So that's just a way of underscoring how abstract is, is, is consciousness, how different it is than the, uh, than the physical. And, uh, and so it, it really needs to be underscored. Uh, the people in general, you know, they, they are herd animals. And so and the media is a herd animal. So, you know, what's popular in philosophy and then it gets, it gets, um, time and space and, uh, you know, and, and then the common people, average person, I should say, hears about it and they, they buy into it without thinking it out and so forth. But, you have to at first go to this point. Hmm? The difference between consciousness and matter. It's huge. Um, and there's no, in the scientific community, they're, they're not any closer than ever uh, in the history of science in demonstrating that consciousness is physical, reducible to physical, or that it's less than, for example, what what the Vedanta says it is, what the great theistic traditions um, say it is. They're, they're, they're and the whole idea is so counterintuitive and um, kind of... Um, it's counterintuitive, counter... Uh, it's, it's logical. It's, it's the way we function in everyday life is, of course, that conscious, conscious thoughts produce actions, and so forth. Their ideas the opposite, opposite way around. So it's a very um, 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 odd theory, and the implications of it, as I say, um, if it were to be demonstrated, are, are a, little, a little frightening. Hmm? That you're a zombie, and there's no overarching meaning in life, and you can say, well, we don't need religion, God, and deposit supernatural things for there to be morality and order, and so forth. You can say that, and you can say religions cause so many wars and so on and so forth, and we can make up our own morality. You can say that, but we get to see what a world would be like when it was a given, if it was to arrive at that, that there's no overarching meaning. There's only human constructs, meanings that we make up for our own purposes and so on and so forth. There are no consequences beyond the immediate. Maybe you should be apprehended by the police, for example, for something. There's no consequences beyond that and so forth, that the world would be a more peaceful, loving guy. It's rather um, uh, doubtful. But at any rate, this is, this is um, where we kind of enter. And entering there, hmm, consciousness is different from matter in that, in that, in that the objective world derives its meaning from consciousness, which is a fact, of course. Whatever you, however you define consciousness, consciousness is what gives meaning to matter. What, this is a house because we call it that. Hmm? Otherwise, what is it? Unto itself, it doesn't 
have that meaning. Hmm? It's consciousness that posits meaning in, in matter and value and so forth. So, it's infinitely more important than matter. Hmm? It matters. Hmm? And matter doesn't, unless we matter about it, as I sometimes say. Hmm? So, uh, these aren't hard arguments to make. Hmm? And um, the implication of them is that, as I began, there is a subjective world. We are members of it, actually. Hmm? Well, what is this consciousness? It, it's Sat, it's Jit, it's Ananda. It's existence, knowing, loving. I mean, that's what consciousness does. It exists. Hmm? It's experiential existence, so it's a knowing existence, and it loves. Hmm? So, independent from matter, hmm? that's what it is. And, and, and the, the idea of the Bhagavad is that there's a whole world, a subjective world of consciousness. And the limitations of the physical world are not uh, such there, as Prabhupada would say, impossible, quoting Napoleon, is a word in a fool's dictionary. So when referring to the real world, the subjective world, this is like the, this, the subjective world is like the daydream of God. Hmm? So he dreams what he wants to do. We go to the idea that that there is there is an underlying in, in essential being and and knowing intelligence and ananda loving and um, you know, when you talk about this like this you go to a, an omnipresent an omniscient reality. And we say, of course, that omniscience and omnipresence, as desirable as it might seem to us, presents a problem for the Absolute because he can't go anywhere, can't do anything. He's already everywhere and he knows everything so there's nothing to do. Hmm? So in order to to resolve the problem, hmm, the Godhead plays. That's what we call Leela. And so there's an eternal drama in the subjective world. I mean, we're trying to reason about it in a way that, uh, you know, to help people get a handle on it. But, you know, we're in the subjective world here. There's all kinds of possibilities. Hmm? And see, even omniscience there is thought to be a problem. Hmm? Omnipresence is a problem. So, the, so Bhagavan plays. Hmm? And under the influence of Swarup Shakti, you know, we see that we see the Swarup Shakti, you know, as like, well, it's all the Godhead. The Godhead is Shakti, so the fire, hmm? the fire, and it's 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 glow, hmm? Hmm? and um, you know, then it has it has sparks and it has smoke. So the whole thing is one composite. You know, how does God? Okay, Swami, you say, there's a material world and then there's your spiritual world, your subjective world. How does the spiritual stuff influence the material stuff? They're two different things. How do we, you know, where do we measure that? Where do we see that? We say they're not two different things. Hmm? How does fire influence smoke? 
and sparks. It's all a composite. Hmm? Advaigantatva. Hmm? So, another example, the idea of the shaktis, Bhagavan and shakti, heat and light, hmm? are operative shaktis of the fire. You don't say, how does the fire influence the heat and the light? <laughs> They're connected. Hmm? They're not, I mean, it's not, a, it's not even a good question. Hmm? So we look at the material world, the objective world, as a manifestation of two of the shaktis of Bhagawan. Hmm? So it's a composite. Advaiganta. Hmm? And then in the subjective world, this sarup shakti, this primary shakti, is, is functioning. The primary shakti is one and different from Bhagawan, but more one than different. Maya Shakti is one and different, but more different than one. And we're in between hmm? as the intermediate Shakti, the Tatasta Shakti. Hmm? We can exist on either side. Hmm? If we have an environment, smoky environment, if you will, of the material Maya Shakti, then we have a personality that derives from that. If we are under the influence of the Sarup Shakti, there will be a personality that derives from that. The difference between the two, of course, is one will be eternal, one the other will be fleeting and passing and so forth. So, you get this, this is our, you know, cons- our story, if you will, the Bhagavatam story of, of, of what life's about. And the, the, the key kind of point, the, the, the philosophical ground on which it's formed is that the, the consciousness and matter are different. That's a very strong point. People argue against it, some people, but but they have no conclusive Argument hmm? from a from an observable, if you will, which is popular today, um, scientific you know point of view. It's nothing to demonstrate that consciousness is is material. So, so then you have a world of possibilities, right? Hmm? Where um, that which would be possible in the physical world is not possible. Hmm? It is possible in the subjective world. So I, I think you're pretty good with that argument, but then the problem comes that Krishna comes to earth. Right? Hmm? Krishna, this, this, so now, he, now he's, he's there and all these things happening and so forth. And How are they happening in the objective world? That's the question that is more difficult. Now you can say, well, they're really happening, and I think this is accurate, they're happening in the hearts of devotees, and they're in the world. But no, the teaching is he's personally in the world, in you know, descended in Vrindavan and so forth. Hmm? And so I think that um, um, while there, there there is historical evidence for a historical Krishna, hmm? on Janamastami I spoke about how there are coins with Krishna and Balaram on either side, dating back thousands of years, and, and there are enough things in the objective world to convince the... Uh, archaeological community that there was, or, or the what is the other science, archaeology and ar- no archaeology and no anthropology, anthropological world that there was a real historical Krishna. Now, then the question comes: Okay, there's a real historical Krishna. Um, how much does the real historical Krishna correspond with the Krishna of the Bhagavatam, hmm? where all these mythological-like uh, events are described. Hmm? 
Um, and of course, who can say? But I mean, doesn't doesn't from what we know about the world, it would seem unlikely that the person Krishna of the Bhagavatam corresponded very much with the historical person. Those would seem like all things added on, embellishments, whatever, um, exaggerations, uh, right? Hmm? So, uh, you know, there are different ways to, to, to approach it, to think about, to satisfy your own intellect, <laughs> if it's problematic to satisfy the intellect of others and so forth. And one of the ways to think about it, of course, is that the teaching is that Krishna can only be seen by eyes of love, premanjana charita bhakti vilochanena sandasare bhagadayishu vilokayanti. So that's the teaching. Therefore, it's said, and Prabhupada said it, for example, himself a number of times, that many people saw Krishna, but they could not see Krishna. They could not see who he was. If they did, then then why Duryodhana is fighting with him? <laughs> if he could see who he was, why he's fighting with him? Hmm? Obviously, he had a different perspective on who he was. Hmm? He couldn't. He didn't have eyes of devotion to see. Now, Vyasa wrote the Bhagavatam, hmm? so the tradition says, hmm? or Vyasa is a generic term also because it means the compiler and so forth. And if you want to look from a, a, a speculative academic point of view, you might say that the Bhagavatam was written later in about the fourth century and. But even the writing of the Bhagavatam, it's been demonstrated that the writing of it contains elements of previous histories and goes all the way back, you know, thousands and th- many, many more years. Hmm? And uh, there's a famous, there are famous temples built around the Bhagavatam with motifs of the Bhagavatam commemorating different leelas so before the dating, the official academic dating of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? So you can't really date these texts. You can't, it's really interesting that you can't, it's impossible to date the Bhagavatam. That's the academic conclusion. And it's impossible to ascertain who the author is. <laughs> so you might as well call him the Oz. Hmm? But at any rate, <laughs> according to the book, hmm, uh, itself, the Bhagavatam, the Leelas of Krishna, and the philosophical and theological underpinnings of the Leela, hmm, were written by Vyas, having, after he had taken the advice of Narada, which was samadhi na to sit in samadhi, he described him, you have certain qualities, you're qualified to sit in samadhi, do that, and out of that, um, you're, uh, uh, write something directly about a Bhagavatam, about, about, about Bhakti, so that it will be understood in no uncertain terms that this is, really the main stream, if you will, the Abhideya Tattva of the sacred texts, the means, bhakti, hmm? either mixed or pure, the means to transcend. And so enter into samadhi and come out and write about it. So it is therefore it's sometimes called the samadhi bhasha. The bhasha means language, the language of trance. So Vyasa is writing about Krishna. Hmm? However Krishna appeared in the world and whatever he did, Vyasa has entered into samadhi, hmm? And deep in the subjective world, he's coming out and, and writing about Krishna. And it's a theological book, a philosophical book, a poetic book, and so forth. Hmm? A book about ultimate reality. 
And so from a certain perspective, a certain vantage point, he's talking about Krishna, which may not, we could argue for the sake of argument, fully correspond with, which, with what everybody saw who saw, saw Krishna. Hmm? Um, with eyes of love he saw. Hmm? And those eyes of love are wise eyes. They're based on the understanding, theoretically and practically, realized understanding that there's a difference between consciousness and matter, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Hmm? The whole story of consciousness is not that it's just different from matter. <laughs> that's just the beginning. What is conscious? What are the possibilities that lie in the subjective world? Hmm? You, you just t- t- put your toe in the in, in uh, you know in the water there. It, oh, it's it's different than land. <laughs> wow! Look at that. Here I am. I'm a land creature, and I just touch the water. Whoa! It's different. It moves. You, you can't stand on it. Hmm? What else can you do? You find out you can drink it. Hmm? Uh, you know all kind of things, and then then so enter it. It has waves. It has depth. It's a fathom, fathomless. It's got creatures inside of it. All different kinds. It's a whole different world. The underwater world, like compared to the the surface world, it's just like you know. I'm just giving an example, and it, it doesn't do justice to it, but gives us some understanding. So to say, oh, it's different than land. That's to say nothing practically about it. Some people think, that's it, Brahman, what can you say about it? Neti, neti, not this, not that. Hmm? Well, Vyas, in his trance, if we study it in the Bhagavatam, he went deeper. Hmm? He went with bhakti. He went deeper. And he found many wonderful things there. He's speaking about them. And he gives underlying philosophies, how to go there and so forth. And it involves realizing that you're a member of the consciousness world, not a member of the material world, the objective world. The objective world is not the real world. And we only have, for that matter, an apprehension, an approximation uh, in our material minds of what the objective world is. Hmm? That's even a scientific, if you will, fact. We only have some approximation of what matter is. You can't ever touch it. Get it, hold on. That's what the Bhagavatam says. It's maya. Maya means to measure. It's immeasurable. You cannot measure it. You can measure it, some part of it, in order to get some practical information about how it works in a certain certain respects and create something through technology from it. Hmm? But to capture the whole thing, hmm? that's another thing altogether. Hmm? That methodology is not going to give you the whole comprehensive picture. It's going to give you some truths that work for human society in some pragmatic way, and it may backfire for human society in some way in due course, too. Hmm? Whoa, this Maya is like, watch out, you're playing with fire. Hmm? You need to do something with it, you need to cook with it, but you've got to be careful with it, too, hmm? is the point. So when we throw caution to the wind and think we've got the control of the fire, hmm, who knows? Our... Uh, experimenting with the, the material nature without any without any cautions could have repercussions, right? We could blow ourselves up. It's quite possible. Hmm? Um, so, so the Bhagavatam, when in a word says it's Maya, Vishnu Maya, it, it's it's immeasurable. You cannot. It means you can't grab it. And again, we only have 
so you want to say, how could Krishna have you know, this, do this, that? Well, your whole idea of how the world works, that there are hard things out there and so forth, is, is just not a... That's not true. Hmm? Uh, I was uh, listening to a uh, an interview of Henry Stapp, physicist at Berkeley. The interviewer was Deepak Chopper, who tends to be a kind of a neo Edwaitian and a little bit new agey kind of a, a spiritual monist. Um, and so he he asked Stapp, who's a, who has a theory of how consciousness um, influences matter and is causal and so forth. It's a it's a very respected um, person in the field. And so anyway, he's asking Stapp that is there really any objective world? Because he's an Advaitin, he wants to say it's really all just consciousness. There is no matter, which is a different take uh, from the Vaishnav forms of Vedanta. So Stapp said, well, no, there is something there, but it, but it is more mind consciousness-like than we, we thought it was. Hmm? In other words, this is the point. Matter is more, less like, you know, matter, you think it's a hard thing, you can grab onto it, you know, hold onto it. It's more subtle than we thought. Hmm? So he, he acknowledged there is an objective world, but from a quantum perspective, he said there are, it's a world of potentialities, like whatever that means, a world of potentialities. And actions happen when the observer weighs in on them and then they, they come to, they're actualized and so forth. But there are no like like, like hard bodies out there. So the, the whole world, it, the objective world, is very different than, when, than how we experience it. Hmm? And so that helps too, to um, um, kind of, you want to, this probably was really, trying to do, trying to break our faith in the sensual, mental and intellectual perceptions, p- particularly the sensual perceptions of the world hmm? that we're guided by, by default of our conditioning. Hmm? They're wrong. They're not accurate. So even in science it says, we, we say today that they're, they're not accurate. Hmm? So, um, uh, so, uh, I think um, you know by speaking along along these lines, you you you, you have to kind of take. People are tend to not too critically think uh, along the lines of popular um, currents of thought. And here I'm speaking about materialism, hmm? and there's ways to you know. To dissect that and, and expose it for the shallowness of it, and then they're open to hmm, um, so many other possibilities. And then, of course, when we're speaking about Krishna and and the possibilities of the subjective world, I've explained one way in which we could think about the descriptions of the Bhagavatam, which are not historical. It's not a history book. Really, it's a theological book and a philosophical book. So it talks about Krishna in a theological and a philosophical way about God, and really, ultimately, is saying 
that there's a possibility of majestic and intimate love with the, for the, with the Absolute between a unit of consciousness and its source. Hmm? That's what it's saying, hmm? among other things. It's saying that the world is God and God's beyond the world at the same time. Hmm? Hmm? The world is his shaktis, they're not that for him. And meanwhile, he has his own personhood in the subjective world where he plays and you can enter into that. And we describe it in this way hmm? to try to give us some handle on it. And that descriptions of the Leela are like, like a table of contents or an outline to the book hmm? of... Hmm. Um, ultimately, love and intimacy, madhurya, hmm? the Vrindavan leelas, and so forth. It's a, it's a, it's a, If you don't even want to take it down to like you know the tattva underneath it, that's what it's saying. And it's a very interesting concept about God. Uh, it really gives a very. Um, Profound. It offers a very profound way of thinking about the personhood of the Godhead, who you know. Otherwise, people think well, some guy up in the sky up there or something like that. Where where is he? Sitting on a cloud or you know what what's it? So you know, if you speak about the subjective world, as I am, then it be, the possibilities of that are very clear, and it's uh, you know your your intelligence can be. Um, Satisfied, if you will, hmm? I think, and then, uh, and, and then, having said that, and and spoken about Vyas and so forth, and and the art, the, the discussions about Krishna and the fantastic descriptions of Krishna and how we can make sense out of those in our modern times, so forth. Well, I would go ultimately to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, if you if you if you want to believe in Krishna. Hmm? the historicity of Krishna, and that everything in the Bhagavatam, which is not a history book, that's said about Krishna is, is, is a historical fact. That's not necessarily what the Bhagavatam is saying. It's, again, speaking about God in a particular way to make a point. Hmm? But, uh, but then, of course, the Goswamis have emphasized it in a rather physical way for the, for the adhyatmic perspective. That's why Bhaktivinoda Thakur said that the Goswamis have given commentaries for Kanishtadikaris or for the for the adhyatmic perspective. Hmm? And the adhyatmic perspective and the adhidavic perspective can be similar, can be literal in a sense. But the adhidavic one is, is is one has entered into the world of consciousness and doesn't need all this philosophy and sort out all these other thoughts and so forth. Hmm? But the place to go ultimately is to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is a Historical figure, without a doubt, more more historically, you know, more historical evidence for the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu than there is for Jesus. Hmm? The Christians make a big thing about the historical facts of Jesus's life on earth and his rising from the dead, and this one fact, as they see it, witnesses and so forth, that he rose from the dead, says he's God because he's gone against the laws of nature. And it's better than any other miracle in the pagan world. So, shut down all the, you know, all the witches and all the shamans. Puts them all out of business. We've got the one miracle that trumps all other miracles, and uh, this is uh, converted all of Europe. And it didn't work too well in India, where there's <laughs> so many miracles and mysticism and so forth is the norm. <laughs> so, 
Uh, at any rate, we go to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It was only 500 years ago. Hmm. And, uh, and there are at least half a dozen um, biographical or hagiographical works on, on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So there were, it means there was a very um, uh, prominent, uh, literate group, hmm, educated people, philosophers, who spoke Sanskrit, which wasn't the common person uh, in, in, in India. This was the upper class, educated people, spoke Sanskrit, and were acquainted with the arts and drama and, and um, poetry and so forth. And they were taken... Uh, in a big way by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his person, and they uh, and so an abundance of literature about him, abundance of, of, of witnesses uh, uh, as to his extraordinary ecstasies and so forth. Hmm? And then the Goswami wrote a whole philosophy about ecstasy. I mean, the way in which they just you know, ecstasy is a word, but they've like they've got so many categories of it and subdivided it and the abhas of it and different types of abhas of it and different anubhavs, sattvika bhavs, sanchari bhavs, hmm? stai bhavs, this bhav, that bhav, hmm? be in the bhav, right? Which one? <laughs> it's more than just think, just, just a t-shirt. <laughs> it's a deep thing. And they've, it is, Bhakti Rasamrita Singh has gone into this in such depth. There's no, there's no, there's no dissertation like this on bhava, on ecstasy, hmm? like given by the Goswamis. And, and, and they're compelled to write like this because the person of ecstasy, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, appeared before him, and, the, and the, 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 the measure of his ecstatic transformations and experience is, um, um, has never been seen before in the religious world. Hmm? This is their point. And then they go to the sacred texts and they try to explain what that is. Hmm? And, and, and trying to explain what that is, they end up in Vrindavan and they Radha's Bhava and they, they, they put this all together. That's so a very interesting <laughs> theological uh, concept and uh, in, in, in way in which they went about explaining Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And of course, you could say, well, you know, these people attributed miracles to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so on and so forth. And, you can say, but but empirically speaking, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, really appeared and really did tower above hmm, so many arguments hmm, as to divinity or non-divinity by his personal example. Taking the name of Krishna, he would fall over in ecstasy. What, what, it's not that it just could Coca-Cola or anything, but the name of Krishna. Why? What? How did it do what it did to him? Hmm? Swooning, passing out, tears pouring from his eyes, like you know, these these are things are they're not very much really contended. Hmm? Maybe stories that he touched someone that became ecstatic, or you know, he planted the mango tree and it immediately came up and there were fruits forever and so forth. Well, you know, the people they made these things up, and, and certainly there's some poetic license in the in the text describing Chaitanya that are taken to emphasize the point, but but. Uh, objectively speaking, he was a person who, in the least, who experienced the the deepest depths and limits of human consciousness. Now, we're back to what consciousness is. 
So, like, from our point of view, it's not whether you believe in a soul or not. It's just like, we don't argue like that. Do you believe in a soul? It's like saying, because from our perspective, consciousness is the soul. So, do you believe in consciousness? I mean, it's like a silly question. You have to have consciousness to believe. So, I mean, of course, I mean, there's, of course there's consciousness. So, it's a question of what it is. What is consciousness? Hmm? How are you going to define it? Hmm? We define it as I have in 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 brief hmm? and 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 there are obviously dimensions of human consciousness hmm? of consciousness in human dress that most people have no access to hmm? and those who have it the mystics hmm, demonstrate that that it's very enriching to have it very enriching hmm? And we find in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in at least, a person who arguably has plumbed the depths of the consciousness world hmm, more than any other figure in the religious and spiritual history and secular history of the world. That's the argument. Hmm? And what does he come up with? Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? And so... There's there, there, there's there's much to be um, said um, with regard to uh, the nature of Krishna when we look at him through the lens of a so-called real person, <laughs> historical person, the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. As I've said before. It's easier, it's more difficult to dismiss love of God than it is to dismiss God. Hmm? You could say, I don't believe in God, but it's hard to say, I don't believe in in the, the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he's standing before me and melting in ecstasy and, and chanting the holy name, and I start to melt as well hmm? in his company, which is, of course, how his, his, his association is described. It's contagious. Some... Orientalists and in, uh, in first examining the the uh, Indian religious doctrines when they came to Chaitanya Vaishnavism concluded that he must have been an epileptic because he would go into these fits and so forth. And my reply is, of course, that it's not contagious. Epilepsy is not contagious, so that doesn't work because whatever he had, it was contagious, hmm? and um, and he would touch others with it and so forth. So. I mean, obviously, you're not going to... We're just making a reasonable argument for our... to support our our faith. People will argue against it and, 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 and try to reduce his, his experience to something um, material and so forth. But my point here is that, in one sense, is that even if you were to reduce the full measure of the experience of human consciousness to matter and say, well, it has, you can, you can experience those dimensions of consciousness, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're not, um, physical. Hmm? That doesn't mean that there's, that doesn't mean you live after, you, you, you're gonna live after the biological death. Hmm? So for argument's sake, it's okay if you wanna argue like that, you could, you could think like that. We can't prove to you otherwise, um, um, you can't prove otherwise either, but, but still, if that's your conclusion, hmm, and it has to be your conclusion, 
You have to understand. You have two conclusions to make. One is, consciousness is transcendental. Two, consciousness is not transcendental, but there are dimensions of human consciousness that are that most people don't experience, and they're very rewarding to experience. And I would say further, to experience them, you have to become more than a human. Hmm? You have to become superhuman. You have to control your senses. You have to control the mind. Hmm? And as a result of controlling the senses and controlling the mind, you become a very nice person. Hmm? A very attractive person. Hmm? All moral problems are solved. You're no, you're no longer you have no economic problems you have no political problems hmm? you have no environmental problems I mean truthfully this solves all those problems obviously it sounds simplistic but it's true hmm? so these 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 dimensions of human consciousness even if they you know are just human if you will and don't continue after the demise of the biological organism still. They are the most desirable dimensions, and it, what in arriving at them is what it means to be a full human being, hmm? and to live a in a, a PC life, <laughs> in an environmentally sound life, and a materially compassionate. Li- I mean, is is compassion for all beings a good idea? Hmm? Hmm? You can talk about it as a whatever a progressive liberal person or something like that and get involved in certain um, political um, campaigns and whatnot for for such but uh, by by such by 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 meditation by spiritual uh, pursuit then you can actually there it's been demonstrated in the history of human society you can arrive at that position hmm, of real compassion for all human beings so it, 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 it's very desirable. Now, then you say, okay, well, fine, I'll enter consciousness, the world, it's material, but it's great, you should go there, and, and it does solve problems, you know, but I don't believe in life after death. It's like, okay, just start going there, you know. Because as soon as you start to experience the nature of consciousness, you, it's just like taking LSD, your whole perspective changes. Hmm? I mean, it's not just like taking LSD, and I've done both, so I can tell you that. <laughs> it's very different, but but it's very different. <laughs> But there are some similarities that could be drawn, obviously, and there are. Uh, it, but in this similarity, it changes your perspective suddenly. You get a different perspective. There are other possibilities and so forth. So, and again, it's just like you just touch water. Whoa. Hmm? So we encourage people, okay, think of it as material. But go there. Do the meditation. We, we don't want to do that. It's religious baggage and stuff. It's Krishna and stuff like that. We just want to meditate and we'll experience the depths of human consciousness and be better human beings and so forth. So we encourage them, of course, at the same time, we have to acknowledge that there are to date no secular mystics, hmm? no non-religious or secular approach to exploring the depths of human consciousness has been successful in um, affording any secularist the experience of a Rumi, a Bodhi, a, 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 a Buddha, uh, a Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and so forth. So we're waiting for the first secular mystic, and we believe that if you just get a little experience of what's being talked about there, you have, you'll become very sympathetic to the idea that there's a lot of possibilities, <laughs> and that I experience, experiences that 
I live forever. The experience is that I'm not matter, which means I have no beginning. I'm not confined by time and space. That's my experience. Hmm? When you get that experience, it's hard to argue against it. <laughs> when the direct experience is that I'm not confined by time and space. Direct hmm, experience. Hmm? Then it's hard to argue against your direct experience. Hmm? Before you have the experience, you can argue, well, they're postulating that because they're, they're arriving at it based on some metaphysical system that they bought into and so forth that has all these, this extra baggage and so forth. Really what's happening is something's going on with your brain in there, and so we don't know what it is yet, but something, you know, the God neuron or something is in there when that turns on and you experience it and so forth. And hmm. Anyway, you haven't found that neuron yet, but that electrical connection, but, uh, but but go there by meditation. Then we think you're you're you'll you'll be more sympathetic to what we're talking about. And what we're saying is this at the same time we acknowledge there's a kind of a non theistic, if you will, although supernatural, experience of consciousness, undifferentiated Brahman, for example, which is a way of saying explaining Krishna Leela that some people have taken. Of course, some people have taken. Well, this is just a description, and you think about it like that, and you enter into the impersonal Brahman. Or you think about Christ, or this or that, and different cultures have different stories, and they all wash out in undifferentiated Brahman, hmm? and so forth. But uh, our argument there is that, that, that that's a possibility. You can experience undifferentiated Brahman. That's true. But that's just the beginning. That's just touching the water, if you will use my previous analogy. But the, the elements of consciousness, the consciousness are constituted over three. Sat, Chit, Ananda. Hmm? And the former two derive from the latter, third. In other words, there can be existence, but it doesn't have to be cognizant. But if there's a cognizant existence, well... If you're cognizant, you have to exist. You could exist, but not be cognizant. But if you're cognizant, you have to exist. So there could be sat and not chit and ananda. But if there's chit, there has to be sat. If there's knowing, there has to be existence. Right? There could be sat, but not chit. Matter is sat. Well, not really. I mean, it's under tra- all the forms are under transformation, but in that sense. But for there to be, there could be an existence without a knowing. But there cannot be a knowing without an existence. There could be a knowing existence that's not a loving existence. But if there's loving, there has to be knowing and there has to be existence. So our position is that the sat and the chit derive from ananda because the nature of consciousness is ultimately ananda. Hmm? Therefore it exists and therefore it knows. And you can separate out its knowing and its existing as paramatma, and is Brahman. Hmm? If you want to separate it's loving, it's Bhagawan. And there's a course, a transcendental course, for coming in, in, in connection with the loving aspect primarily, which corresponds with the loving aspect in you. You are a unit of Ananda, Sat and Chit. We exist, we know, and we exist and know for a purpose, and our purpose is, is to love. Hmm? Love. We are love-driven Reality, let's face it. Hmm? 
And so if we want to experience the fullness of the love that we pursue, it has to become wise. We have to understand what we are and why we're pursuing love and why we're looking in the wrong place for it in the objective world. I mean, how much can matter love? I mean, it can't. For love, you have to have some, some similarities. And consciousness and matter are diametrically opposed. So you're not going to get any love for matter. It's achit, asat, and nirananda. Hmm? So the love of this world is really consciousness pursuing itself, what it's about. Hmm? Okay? So if you enter into the world of consciousness, you realize, I'm sat, I'm chit, I'm ananda. But if you want to experience the full potential of the fact that you are a unit of ananda, you need another. Hmm? Atmananda is one thing. Bhakti-ananda is another thing. Hmm? So you can love yourself, and you should. I mean, you're a unit of love in a sense. But then, as we know in our own practical experience, having another helps with the loving, <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone to love. We just need somebody to love or something. That's a song like that. Uh, so... Uh, so, but that other has to be of the other world, the significant other of the subjective world. And that's what Bhagwan is. That's the idea of Bhagwan. And and so there's a there's an argument for the necessity of the Godhead as a person, based on the argument that we are a unit of Ananda. You can make a good argument for that. And then the logical conjecture from there is, well, if you're a unit of Ananda and your purpose is to love, then the full experience of love will be enhanced by another. And, of course, then mystics who agree with that, who teach that, have explained the other as Krishna. And in, 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 in you look at who's out there. Okay, we go to the mystics, and who do they describe, and what do they describe? We hear what the Sufis say, and the mystic Christians would say. We hear what the Advaitans say. We hear what the... Vishishta Dwaitans will say, the Dwaitans, and so on. And, well, the, 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 uh, the Gaudiya Vedantists, they're talking about Krishna, and, 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 and there's nobody that fulfills, no description that better fulfills that, uh, or, or meets the description hmm, of what the perfect object of love, you know, that's what they're talking about. There must be a perfect object of love that's the center, and that's the way they're talking about Krishna. Adolescence, youth, I mean, is lovable, attractive, it's the most attractive time, and so forth, the Kishore, and oh, the color of his skin, the sham is the color of romantic love, and so on and so forth, all these things. So this is what they're describing. Hmm? Uh, so, <laughs> so there is some some good uh, reason, philosophical reasoning, scriptural reasoning, and so forth, to support these, um, these, uh, and and to conclude, kind of with a statement of Prabhupada, these fantastic descriptions of Krishna, which, which to think as such, as Prabhupada would say, makes you a bit fantastic, hmm? mm-hmm. that you live in a bit of a fantasy to think that life, for example, is one-dimensional, it's physical. Only, hmm? and that everything has to fit within that, hmm? which is dehumanizing, and potentially um, the most dangerous idea from a moral, political, 
economic point of view out there. Hmm? Yeah. It, it, it really, it, it's really like if you don't get caught, it's a, it's cool. <laughs> you, you, you can you can do what you want. It may not conform with what some people think is the best way to act and be and so forth. But who cares for them? Hmm? I don't have to care for them. That's just a constru- construct. Hmm? So it's just who 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 has the power. I feel it's like this, and I think it should be like. You can say, well, why can't we just leave morals to just you know human society? We don't have to have it anchored ontologically. Hmm? And you know we do a pretty good job here in America. We have human rights and this and that and so forth. Well, you know, yeah, it's okay, but. Anybody come along, he's got more power and decides, I think, you know, you got a Hitler and decides it should be like that. All he has to do is the brute strength or whatever, or intelligence, take over and rule the way he wants. Hmm? And uh, and you, you kind of, I mean, give him a license for it. Hmm? Um, so it's a dangerous, um, a dangerous idea. Does that help? <laughs> a few, a few thoughts on the matter. All right. What's the time now? Eight twenty. Okay. Oh, we went, went for a while there. Okay. All right. Well, this is nice to have you as guests. You'll be here for a month or so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you'll be here for Kirtan tomorrow night, right? We're going to have a program, right? You've invited some friends. We're your friends. We'll be here. Okay. Shri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Adamadava ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivrinda ki jai, Gaur Premananda.